Hello and welcome into episode nine of the Stomp the Bus show. We have made it to nine episodes. I am Mark Harris, your host, joining you today. Uh, I'll be rolling solo today since Colton has some things to take care of, but uh, not too much to get into. Just kind of want to recap the NAU game, uh, look ahead to the Oklahoma State game, kind of touch on some news and notes um, as we are what two game two days away from the Sun Devils playing in Stillwater with those incredible helmets that were released today. For those of you who haven't seen, um, it's a pretty sure it's a white uniform, gold pants, uh, but the helmet is just a Sparky's face on the side, and it looks really cool. Uh, they look they have great uniforms, uh, but also not too uh, not too showy. So. I think they look great and um, we'll see how they look on the field in Stillwater and how the Sun Devils play. Before we get to that, I want to recap the NAU game because the Sun Devils took care of it, of business. They really did. Um, and I think everyone was expecting them to win, but I don't think people were expecting them to win 40 to three and for the offense to look pretty Pretty smooth, I would say. Definitely not, you know, they didn't burn the house down. They still had to kick four field goals. Uh, they had, I think they had to punt at some point early on in the first quarter with that 3-0 lead. But second quarter, they really clicked into gear. Run game looked great. Um, they finished with 49 carries for 267 yards, four touchdowns, two from Xavier Valde and two from Emory Jones. I mean, it's pretty much all you can ask for against an FCS team and ASU kick the crap out of them. And that's an FCS team that beat Arizona last year in Tucson. And a lot of those same guys are still on that team. So uh, this team won't be as bad as the Arizona team from last year. So we can hang our hats on that. Um, a few things that stood out to me, Emory Jones looked very comfortable, very poised, uh, made, did a good job of uh, going through his reads and took off when he needed to Had two touchdowns. The second one was, Pretty fun to watch. So it was kind of – he looked good for the Sun Devils, you know. He didn't look like a world beater, but he looked like kind of the floor raiser uh, guy that this team needed because this team couldn't go into the season with Trenton Bourget and Paul Tyson as their top two quarterbacks. That's just not conducive to success. So Emory Jones really looked good, obviously a much bigger test – this weekend, um, some other transfers really stood out. I mean, Valde, holy cow, this dude this is fun to watch, man. I mean, <laughs> he is tough to tackle in the open field. He's shifty, uh, hits the hole really well. Two touchdowns uh, last Thursday, a week from a week ago from today when I'm recording. So he looked like he looked. It looked like there's a reason he is the current FBS uh, yardage leader. Um, I think he has closing on almost 4,000 yards on his career, uh, which would probably be more if it weren't for the COVID year. But uh, anyway, so he, he looked good. Danielle Ngata, 10 carries, 60 yards. Um, he he looked good when he got his opportunities too. He kind of definitely plays the role of the change of pace back very well. And it'll be interesting to see how they use him um, on – Saturday because he's got good hands and he can definitely do some stuff out of the backfield too. So both of those running backs look good. Um, Messiah Swinson led the 
receiving three catches, 50 yards. And this dude is just, he is a matchup nightmare. I mean, he's huge six, eight. I mean, that is tough to defend. I know. And again, I know it was NAU, but the expectations for this team were so low and people, there were a lot of people who thought ASU would win, but maybe they'd win 27 to 13 over NAU and kind of look, kind of look sloppy, you know? I mean, ASU in years past is not always swiftly dispatched said FCS foe that they're playing in week one or week two, you know, doesn't always happen. I mean, my, it was my junior year of college or my sophomore year. One of those, I think it was my junior year in 2016, ASU hosted, pretty sure it was Cal Poly. It might've been Sacramento State, but I'm pretty sure it was Cal Poly. And it was like 21-21, like with five minutes left in the third quarter. And people were very nervous in that stadium. And I was one of them because... ASU was really letting an FCS team hang around. ASU went on to win, but it was something like 35-21. It wasn't a blowout, and it wasn't wasn't a good sign of things to come for that team um, in terms of high-end potential. So ASU, you know, took care of business. They didn't play with their food. The defense absolutely stomped NAU. They could have had more interceptions. I mean, two of them got called back for penalties. I think one of the penalties was – a procedural penalty on the line of scrimmage. So it might not have counted anyway, but they at least had one get called back for penalties and they had two others that uh, stood without any penalties getting called. So, I mean, NAU had, I'm just doing some simple math here. Let's see. Team stats. Yeah. They had 120 total yards of offense. That is, that's tough to hold a team to. I mean, that is, nothing and their only points were because they got the ball in asu territory after a strip sack and credit to them for getting that but um their kicker i think their kicker made like a almost a 50 yard field goal too so it wasn't like it was some chip shot that they drove all the way down the field yeah their kicker made a 48 yard field goal with uh five seconds left in the second half in the second quarter and so a lot of college kickers just aren't making that kick at all. And so uh, ASU was basically a one bad turnover from pitching a shutout. And I mean, they looked, they looked really good. That defense is stingy. Um, The transfers on the defense look good. Chris Edmonds, um, FCS transfer. He came up from Samford um, and he had an interception in this game. Um, lanky he's much larger than I remember or or, or, that I pictured they had six tackles for loss despite not having a sack I think some of that is just because Oklahoma State was I mean not Oklahoma State NAU was really getting the ball out quick and for good reason because they could not do anything against the Sun Devils front seven Um, six tackles for loss like I said two of them from Travis Moore, who was basically a trans in a new transfer because he was injured so early last season, didn't get to play. And now he's uh, showing out game one of the 2022 season, Corey Bethley, another transfer safety from Hawaii, three total tackles and a tackle and a half for loss. That's what you want to see. Kyle Soeli with five tackles, three solo and an interception. Um, You know, they just looked extremely solid and, you know, if they weren't playing Oklahoma State on the road this week, I could easily see them getting to 2-0. and You know, let's just say they were going on the road to play 
what's kind of an average FBS team, like a Louisville or mm. I don't know, like a Texas Tech or Indiana. They're below average, I'd say, but um, Iowa, yeah, <laughs> they could be that. If they weren't playing a very good FBS team on the road, in, instead more just like an average one, I think the Sun Devils could easily win that game. Um, but it's going to be a lot more difficult against the number 11 team in the country. Um, and one more thing before I move on to the Oklahoma State talk. So last year, ASU won its, you know, FCS opening game against Southern Utah, 41 to 14. So they still gave up two touchdowns in that game. And so therefore, obviously, the defense didn't play as well. And the thing that stood out to me so much watching that game live and looking at it back now, ASU had 13 penalties for 135 yards against a freaking FCS Southern Utah. And lo and behold, that 100% predicted their terrible penalty um, ways for the whole season. And I mean, we saw it happen in the BYU game and all sorts of, I mean, the Oregon state game was really bad too. So it's just, I'm glad that ASU had just, I want to say it was four penalties at five penalties for 45 yards. Fine. You know, you're not going to have zero penalties in a game for the most part. If you have five, that is a very normal amount of penalties for a team to have in a game. That's not really not crazy at all. So much better than 13 penalties, which is an abomination. But yeah, so ASU very much took care of business against NAU. Um, Going to be tougher this week as they head to Stillwater to play Oklahoma State. The 11th ranked Cowboys beat Central Michigan 58 to 44 also last Thursday. Um, it's kind of a misleading score in some ways because Oklahoma State was up 44 to 15 at halftime. So the game was was over at halftime, you know. And I want to I want to keep that in mind when talking about the fact that they allowed 44 points, but still 44 points. And I Central Michigan is a better team than NAU is. Um, they're a decent MAC team, uh, but 44 points. And I get and it was look it was against backups for a lot of it, and the game was pretty much over. But if we were in Oklahoma State's exact position, if if it was the 11th ranked Sun Devils hosting, you know, I don't know, um, Utah State or San Jose State in their opening game. If we won 58 to 44, I don't think fans would be completely whisking it away like, oh, it was just backups. It was, you know, whatever. It was all the, the game was over anyway. Because again, we've seen in these games, they can really be, uh, windows into the future of how your team's going to do against better teams. Not always. Sometimes they don't really mean anything, you know, like for example, Iowa football, they won seven to three over South Dakota state with a field goal and two safeties. It was horrible to watch, <laughs> but I don't like as bad as Iowa offense looked in that game. I don't think they're going to be that bad for the rest of the season, but they're not going to be good. You know, that game showed that Iowa's not going to be lighting the world on fire 
and they're going to be scraping by with their wins, but they're also probably not going to score seven points on a field goal and two safeties each game either. So it's again, like these games are hard to judge um, for ASU and Oklahoma state, but it is interesting that, you know, they gave up 29 points in the second half to a Mac team. Just it, it's something to watch for, uh, but it could all be moved as well. You know, Oklahoma state's a good team. They won the freaking Fiesta bowl last year. They were, what about a yard away from getting to the college football playoff and winning the big 12. So, you know, they, they can beat us. And, you know, Spencer Sanders, he looked real, he looked really good in week one. Um, that offense, you know, like I said, they allowed 44 points, but they gave up. Um, yeah. They allowed 44 points, but they scored 58. So that's going to be tough for the ASU defense to stop Spencer Sanders. 28 of 41 for 406 passing yards and four touchdowns. He added 11 carries for 57 yards and two touchdowns, which is going to be tough to deal with for ASU. It's just going to be, and he's a good runner. He can make guys miss. Um, I think he had a, he had a really good juke move uh, for a touchdown against Central Michigan. So these defend these defenders on ASU, they're going to have to be very disciplined, very sound, because this guy can carve you up and he can slice you up on the ground as well. So he's kind of the key to their offense. Um, they lost Jalen Warren, who I think is on the Steelers now, and then receiver Tay Martin. Um, and so those were two of their big contributors last year. But um, they've still got some good wide receivers. Braden Johnson led the Cowboys in their win with – eight catches for 133 yards and a score. Wow. Brennan Presley chipped in with five catches for 83 yards. So these guys, they have good receivers, you know, and their quarterback can make plays. So it's, it's going to be tough for this ASU defense. I mean, this is going to be a really tough environment that this stadium is going to be bonkers. It's going to be so loud. And, like we said with penalties, they need to make sure they're a repeat of what happened at BYU doesn't happen again because I don't know how, you know, look like I get that team, I get that it's difficult to play in hard road environments, but you also can't look like ASU did last year at BYU where it pretty much looked like they didn't even practice for crowd noise at all. So I hope, I hope they practice for crowd noise this time um i mean heck herm edwards was in the nfl he's been to nfl stadiums and it's loud at nfl stadiums for the most part especially early in the year when fans are actually engaged and the team is still good but you know this should be something they should be able to prepare for and if they lose i hope it's not because oh we had 15 penalties and half of them were false starts just completely shooting ourselves in the foot you know i hope if they lose it's just because oklahoma state's a better team you know, I think that sounds simple, but with ASU, they didn't always lose to better teams last year. You know, that BYU game, I, I didn't walk away from that game being like, yeah, BYU is world's better than ASU. It was like, no, ASU and BYU, roughly the same talent wise, and ASU completely shot itself in the foot a million times. Oklahoma, Oregon State last year, when they lost to Oregon State, the talent level on these teams isn't like wide or, you know, ASU could have won that game, but they were just wanting to get the season over. Um, the Wazoo game from last year, I mean, that was just 
a disaster. And I don't think it <laughs> had so much to do with Wazoo as much as it did ASU just not really trying. And Utah, that I think that team was actually better than us last year. Um, I mean, obviously they were better. They beat us, but in terms of talent, they were uh they were a better team than ASU was, even though ASU had a halftime lead. I still think they would have lost that game, but they also the way they lost that game still was uncompetitive in the second half. So anyway, rounding that back into this game, just be competitive, show up, no BS on, you know, in terms of penalties and losing your cool. Uh, Oklahoma State's a really good team. You know, their defense is not what it was last year when it was pretty filthy. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, to Ohio State. They lost um, Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker, Devin Harper, linebacker. Those guys are gone, and a few other guys are gone too. So they, their defense will not be as good as it was last year, but it's still going to be the, the toughest test Arizona State's offense has seen this year. So it'll be, it, it, it'll be difficult. There will be – Probably some opportunities, though, um, just as long as Emory Jones and the offense just kind of takes what the defense gives them, you know. And I think from what we saw in week one, you know, Emory Jones is a guy who will stand in the pocket for a few seconds and go through his reads, um, you know, or at least he did, you know, against NAU. So we'll see. The Spencer Sanders – He's going to be tough. It's just going to be really tough for ASU to stop him. Um, if ASU does win this game, they're going to need some turnovers. You know, I don't think ASU is good enough to win this game. Just how do I say? Just uh, playing a clean game, if that makes sense. You know, where both teams play just a good, clean game. There's no turnovers. ASU is going to need to get their hands on a loose ball or hopefully you know, knock some balls up at the line of scrimmage and uh, get some balls hanging around in the air and uh, maybe unveil a few trick plays. Who knows? They kept it pretty vanilla against NAU, both offensively and defensively. I mean, they, I remember they had in their first quarter, they ran like a toss sweep to Valde on like third and five uh, in the red zone. I mean, I would hope that play call is only for worse opponents because you shouldn't be running on third and five in the red zone unless you have a really good matchup. So we'll see how that goes. One guy I want to spotlight on at Oklahoma State is Colin Oliver. I was listening to um, the ASU Locked On podcast today with Richie Bradshaw. He does a great job. And he had a guest on, Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big 12. And he mentioned um, one guy on the defensive line for Oregon, for Oregon State, same colors, Oklahoma State. One guy on the defensive line for Oklahoma State, who's young too, so he'll be there for next year too, is true sophomore Colin Oliver. Um, reason I bring him up is because he was the 2021 unanimous Big 12 Defensive Freshman of the Year, um, unanimous Freshman All-American team. Um, he was the 2021 Sean Alexander Freshman of the Year Award semifinalist, go Seahawks. Uh, 2021 second team, all big 12, you know, like that's quite a freshman year for Mr. Oliver. And you can see why, because he had 11 and a half sacks last year, which was an Oklahoma state freshman record. So he's gonna be tough for this defensive line to handle. Um, Isaiah glass and Des Holmes will have their work come cut out for them on the edges. 
um, since he is a defensive end. I want to see his exact position because sometimes they can just be listed as a defensive lineman or maybe a linebacker. Who knows? Well, regardless, he'll be lining up all over the place, I'd imagine. But he's good at getting to the quarterback. Luckily for ASU, Emory Jones should be able to avoid some of those uh, hits. And hey, I mean, if they're getting if they're bringing pressure, that opens more passing lanes, more running space for Emory Jones, and that can be a big difference in a game like this is for Emory Jones's legs to take over. You know, so it, it'll be interesting to see how run heavy ASU is in this game as well, because. You can be as run heavy as you want. You're playing NAU, playing Eastern Michigan. Heck, even if, when you play Colorado, I mean, they might be worse than both of those teams, for God's sake. Uh, but not against Oklahoma State. You can't just, you know, I don't care what you're doing. You can't just, uh, whether it's creative runs or pounding the ball in the line of scrimmage, you can't just run the ball 75% of the time. Um, so they're going to have to get creative. But they're passing plays, um, take a few deep shots. We'll see if Charles Hall can get more involved. They gave him to him on the reverse uh, last week against NAU. So that it should be something to watch for. Um, as for the winner, I mean, I want to pick ASU. I really do. But it's just hard for me. It's just it, it they would need a lot to go right. So. I do think the defense holds Oklahoma state down though. I, so I could see the defense holding them to below 30 points and the score that's kind of rumbling around in my head right now, I got 27, 23 Oklahoma state should be a competitive game. I think it'll be a big game um, for Carter Brown from ASU who, who won the uh, PAC 12 special teams player of the week in his first game in college. I mean, how great is that kid made four field goals, against NAU and two of them were like in the 45 yard range. And it, it looked like a crisp kick in operation, which uh, that goes to the special teams staff and players they issue, but he looked like an NFL kicker in that first game. Like he looked legit. And so, again, we mentioned this earlier in the off season that the way ASU was going to play, they need a good kicker to get by because they're going to, they're good. They're going to be some drives that stall in the, you know, 30, 30 yard range, 35 yard range, 25 yard range. And you're going to need to get at least some points um, just to, you know, it's not always fun settling for field goals. It's not. Um, but ask Utah if they had maybe settled for a field goal last week, they might've won in the swamp. So who knows, but I'm glad that, Mr. Brown looked really good in game one because, like I just said, ASU is going to need him. So, um, and then one thing I didn't mention yet, and this sucks, is that offensive lineman Joey Ramos is out for the year with a high ankle sprain. Um, it's tough. You know, Ramos, he's a Valley native, played at Iowa State for four years, comes back to ASU. Um, he should have some eligibility to play next year too, especially since it was just his first game that he missed this year. So it's probably not the end of his college career unless he wants it to be, but for the kid you want, I mean, it, it sucks. No one wants to get injured. And especially if you're out for the year, excuse me. And um, just from a you know tactical perspective, it's just one more 
offensive linemen that ASU can't use. I don't think that's exactly a position of like huge weakness for them. Um, but you want all the bodies that you can get and he's versatile as well. So he, he could potentially fill in at guard if you wanted to, even though he was primarily playing right tackle last week. So hopefully he recovers well and, um, you know, moves on, uh, to success once he recovers. Um, and then speaking of right tackle, we'll get to see the debut of Penn state transfer, um, right tackle Des Holmes. He'll be starting there on Saturday. This guy is listed at six, five, three twenty. So that is a big 10 offensive lineman. If you've ever seen one, um, if he can lock down that right side against Oklahoma state, that would just be enormous for ASU. And um, on the left side, we've got, Isaiah Glass starting once again. So that it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Isaiah Glass is a, you know, true sophomore. This will be a huge test for him. <laughs> you know, he'll probably be going up against uh, Colin Oliver a lot, like I mentioned. So huge test for Isaiah Glass. And, um, Emmett Boley is listed as a backup at both left and right tackle. So the coaching staff feels comfortable with him possibly fitting in there. Uh, if one of those guys struggles, one of those guys goes down, maybe you bring him as a sixth lineman at times. Um, so that's that. Um, also, oh yeah. Uh, Tamarcus Davis will be starting at corner. He missed last week against, NAU um, also starting at corners row torrent. So that's a pretty, it's a pretty solid uh, corner group right there. And then Jordan Clark is listed as questionable. Um, he's, they still have him as injured, but there was news that he practiced. So I, I would guess that Jordan Clark will play. Um, I don't know how serious the injury is, but this, you know, Jordan Clark's a team leader. He's going to want to be on the field for this game and they're probably going to need him. You know, if ASU is going to win this game, it's probably, it's not going to be a blowout unless Oklahoma state really pees down his leg. But uh, yeah, so Jordan Clark, we'll see if he plays. Um, this is a huge game for Oklahoma for Arizona. Well, it's a huge game for both teams, but it's probably a bigger game for Arizona state just because they're, Severe underdogs. Um, it looks like the line at last check, it was 11 and a half. That's what they have it listed on ESPN. Oh, now, okay. So Oklahoma State is now listed at a 12 and a half point favorite. So people, uh, they don't think that ASU is going to win this game. And I, you know what? Look, I'm a Sun Devil fan, but I can't blame them. Like if, if you're not dialed in, and even if you are dialed in on the Sun Devils team, it wouldn't be wise to uh, bet the college fund on, on this game. Uh, even if you do think ASU can win. I mean, there's so many times where a team's close and then, oh, they lose by 14 points later on. So I do want to see what the line is on FanDuel. Real quick, because... I don't know if it's the ESPN line. It says pick center. So they have it as minus 12 and a half um, 
want to see what it is. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, so on FanDuel, they have Oklahoma State at minus 11.5. So kind of the same, 11.5, 12.5. Basically, they they think that it's going to be one of those good game, but Oklahoma State's clearly the better team. Maybe it doesn't blow ASU out, but also it's not a close game. Kind of one of those 10-point type games that uh, you see in football games. So that should be interesting. Um Game kicks off on Saturday at 4.30 um, on ESPN2. Going to be, like I said, probably a raucous crowd. Stillwater's a great environment. Um, I think they do the thing where they, like, paddle on the uh, the stadium wall to make some noise. So ASU Wolves work cut out for them, that's for sure. But I, you know what? I'm excited for this game. I'm excited they're playing a big-time opponent. And a big-time opponent, there is a there is a conceivable way they can actually win. That's a key distinction. You know, they aren't going on the road and playing Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State. Um, they're playing Oklahoma State, who is very good and could easily blow the freaking doors off ASU. So I'm not even trying to paint it as like, oh, ASU, it's 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 a upset special, you know. But this is not a team that is loaded with five stars, and it's not a team that can just reload like Alabama or Georgia. Um, they lost a few guys to the draft, like I said, and, you know, they look, they still gave up 44 points to central Michigan last week, even if a lot of it was garbage time. So they're not perfect. They're very good um, and better than ASU, but they are not unbeatable. Unlike Georgia. <laughs> I mean, if ASU played Georgia, I, I hope we don't ever have to see that because that, that would just be not fun, but yeah, it should be a really exciting game. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the Sun Devils pull it out. And, boy, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun if they could go to Stillwater, beat Cowboys. Nobody is expecting them to. Nobody. You know, and I mean, ASU has been a punchline all offseason and in some respects for good reason. But... They have a more talented roster than I think the average Joe fan would envision them to have. But they also don't have a roster that you can just expect them to go on and win <laughs> this game at Oklahoma State. So it's going to be a huge challenge. I am excited to see if there's any creative play calls that ASU unveils specifically for this game um, because – they can't just run their vanilla offense they did last week and think that they're going to win. So, and the team is mostly healthy too. They basically, it's pretty much the only guys who aren't going to play for sure are uh, Joey Ramos, Michael Matus, who are both out for the season. And then the injury report also lists uh, Ed Woods, cornerback who played last week. Um, he is on the injured list as well. So he might not play. Maybe he will. Who knows? But that kind of at least ASU is coming into this game pretty much at full strength. So you've got all your high, high profile transfers playing um, should, should be a good matchup. You know, I, I just hope it's a good game and we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, one more thing that came out. Uh, I, I'd imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you've 
heard about this news by now, but the playoff is going to expand and we're getting 12 teams into the playoff, not just eight or six, 12. Um, I think 12 might be a little too much, but the flip side of that is it lets so many more fan bases be involved in the playoff. You know, obviously just by having more teams, you'll have more fan bases, but you'll also, as the season winds down, there will be more teams that have a chance to get into the playoff. And that is what excited me. And especially for an ASU fan, fans perspective, um, this is really good for ASU. Like there's no, no two ways about it. Um, and one of the reasons why is because the college football playoff, it's going to be six automatic bids for the top six conference champions. So whether ASU goes to the big 12 or stays in the PAC 12, whatever the PAC 12 ends up becoming, if it, if it even exists or heck worst case scenario, ASU has to go down to the mountain West, which let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, But the, the, the best team, um, or I'm sorry, the top six, highest ranked conference champions are in no matter what. So that means ASU could potentially go eight and four and get into the playoff if they won the PAC 12 or the big 12 or whatever it may be. So I love that. I think it's great. And the other thing is you still have six um, at larges. So the sec will still be able to get in. They probably get four teams some years. (laughs) Like, I don't know if this year they would, but many years they could probably get in most years they'll get in three, but some years they could probably get in four. Um, and like, for example, you know, Georgia, Alabama, they, one of them would have to start on the road because the top four conference champions, they get a buy, which is good because it rewards excellent excellence in the regular season. And I think that's important. Um, you don't want to ruin the regular season too much, but then five to 12, those games get hosted on campus. So ASU could potentially be the five seed and host the 12 seed at Sun Devil Stadium in a playoff game. And I mean, how fun would that be? You know, and the best thing is if you're the five or six seed, you're hosting the 11 seed or the 12 seed, you're not playing Alabama. You're not playing Georgia. You're going to play like Pitt from last year or many of these Oregon teams that we've seen almost you know, like go 10 and two, but they don't make the playoff, you know, like the Oregon team that ASU beat a few years ago, the Brandon Ayuk, Jaden Daniels game. Um, You'd be playing a team like that, or you'd be playing a Wisconsin team, or you'd be playing, um, I don't know, all these like kind of just Oklahoma State, you'd be playing the Oklahoma State team, like these good teams that are, you know, putting guys in the NFL, but they also probably don't have a chance to win a national championship and they're not like complete world beaters. And those are teams that ASU can beat on a given day, you know, not consistently, but on a given day on any given Saturday, I suppose ASU could beat a team like Wisconsin, a team like Pitt from last year, whatever. And these teams that are like the, in the, you know, whatever in the five to 12 range, um, you know, ASU wouldn't be able to beat all of them. It would be matchup based, of course. And heck, this means ASU has actually has to win said league that it's in to get there. So 
you know, it's far from a guarantee and most seasons probably will end with ASU playing the Las Vegas bowl or the holiday bowl or whatever it may be. Um, but if it, you know, sticks together with the current PAC 12, uh, meaning the non LA schools, PAC 12, they, that's, that's way closer for them getting into a 12 team playoff, um, than it would be even if USC and UCLA stayed, which obviously would still be preferable for them because it's preferable for the conference. They would make more money on the TV deal, yada, yada. Um, so I'm excited. And like I said earlier, I'm excited that more fan bases are grouped in. I mean, again, with six conference championship winners, that means under the current system of five power five leagues, then you would have a guarantee that the best of the Sun Belt or the Mountain West <clears throat> or the American, they also get in as the sixth conference championship winner. And that's great for the group of five. And heck, I mean, if the pact hold dissolves, <laughs> two of those type of teams will get in. And that makes it really interesting. So uh, I'm excited for it. And I know people are going to be like, oh, it's not going to change who actually wins the championship. It's like, yeah, yeah of course it's not. It's not, if, it's, it's not going to change that. You know, Alabama's still going to win, Georgia, LSU on a good year, whatever. These teams that actually have the capability of being world beaters, they will still win, you know. And it'll, it might even be easier for them to win because they'll have a week off. And so they'll be playing a team that had just played the week before. Uh, but it still means more. It's basically making the New Year's Six matchups more interesting than they would have otherwise been because the teams that currently play in the new year's six bowls that don't play in the playoff, you know, the five to 12 teams in the country, instead of playing in the peach bowl or the cotton bowl or whatever it is, you're now playing a road game at Michigan state's campus or your Texas A&M and you're hosting a game or whatever it is. And if you win, you get to keep playing and you get to, you get to play Alabama or, Whoever wins the ACC, you get to go on the road to play Clemson. Uh, I think the the semifinal games are still at both sites. So that might change over time, but hopefully they keep those or uh, move those to on-campus sites in the future. But again, I'm just super happy about it. It's not perfect. There's, not, there's really no perfect way to crown a champion um, in a sport like college football where there's so many freaking teams and the Bulls have so much power and there's conference realignment. It's just a mess. But this is a good step. And I, you know what? I applaud the Big Ten and the SEC for letting this happen because they could have easily just been like, yeah, we're doing an 18 playoff and there's no automatic bids. And if you don't get in, F off, you know, they didn't. And I think it's smart of them because you can't just cut off entire regions of the country and expect your sport to continue to be the number two sport in the United States. You know, NFL is number one, college football is number two. It's ahead of the NBA in terms of, I think it's uh, in terms of ratings is the way that it gets measured like that. I think the NBA generates more discussion um, on sports TV shows and on social media and whatever, because it's so much about the stars and the stars are easy to follow. But college football just has that passion that a lot of NBA teams, not all, but a lot, probably even less than half, but if you're a bad NBA team, I mean, people don't care. You know, I lived in, I mean, I was in Phoenix 
from 24 to 2018 when I was in college and the Suns were just terrible basically that whole time <laughs> and no one was going to the game because you didn't want to go watch a G League team even though it was like $5 tickets. So um, anyway, college football right now is the second largest sport in America and it will continue to be that way if you if you make sure that the Western part of the country is included. If you make sure teams from the Northeast have a chance, like teams like teams like a pit have a chance to have a good season and get to the playoff or a team like a NC state or Louisville, like I mentioned, those type of teams get to feel like, Hey, if things go well, we can actually make it to this point as well. And I think there's been some articles of uh, if they had done this since 1998, there would have been 66 different teams that made the playoff. I mean, that is so much better for college football than just having it be just this exclusive club at the top that basically you can only get into if you have incredible resources in terms of talent and donors uh, and an incredible history as well. You know, you have to have both. You can't just have, you know, like, look, ASU is, has, is near some talent, but they don't have the resources and they don't have the crazy passionate fan base um, like some other schools do. And on the flip side, Nebraska has crazy passionate fan base and they have money, but they are in the middle of nowhere and they aren't, they don't border any States that have, you know, college football talent. And look, as a result, you can see what's happened with Nebraska, especially in the past 10 years, they just haven't been good. And there's been some other problems as well, but one of the biggest has been, it's just, tougher to recruit there. Um, and so a even then a team like Nebraska has a better chance to get in now. So again, I think it's great. And, and another thing is maybe it, it kind of changes the way recruiting goes too. maybe a few more of these four or five star type kids that would have gone to Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Clemson, uh, LSU, what have you, uh, maybe two of them that would have gone to one of those schools instead goes to heck I'll even keep it in the South. They go to like Baylor or they go to um, Florida state's a bad example. I don't know, maybe Georgia tech or something. Yeah, I mean, let's not get crazy, but Missouri or something. They, they go somewhere else because it's like, Oh, Hey, they can still make the playoff. I can still make the playoff at Missouri at Arizona state at Minnesota at Louisville, whatever. Um, because there's just more spots open and I think it'll, I think it'll be kind of a mini version of like March Madness where depending on the strength of your program, you will be judged differently on how you do March Madness. So when Duke goes into March Madness, most years fans are expecting, you know, final four birth. And if the teams really get a natty. Uh, but, you know, Arizona State gets into the tournament. Let's hope you make it to the second round and then we'll go from there. You know, and obviously there's variations in between. If you're a super small school, you're just happy to get into the tournament. And that's how it'll be with the play, the 12 team playoff. You know, Alabama, they're still going to want to win the national championship. Georgia, um, Ohio State, that the goal is always still the national championship for those schools. But for, you know, the Arizona States, your uh, you know, Cal, Washington State, uh, Oklahoma State, it'll be great just getting in. And then for maybe Oklahoma state should be in that group, but a lot of schools getting in would be great. And then for there's schools in the middle where it's like, just win a game and then go from there or 
other schools, you know, like in Oregon, win two games and go from there type of deal. So every school will have different expectations of how they should perform in the 12 team playoff in the same way that schools have different expectations on how they should perform in March Madness. But for a lot of schools, if you get to the Sweet 16, that's a really good year in March Madness. You know, if ASU goes to the Sweet 16 this year in March Madness, even if they get blown off the freaking court in the Sweet 16 game, I don't care. They made it there, and that's a good step for ASU basketball. So, and that same logic can be applied to the 12-team playoff um, just with fewer spots. So, I think it's great. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Um, and it should it should result in the players getting paid because this is all about money. Like. <laughs> That's why they did it. They, that's why they don't really care about um, including everyone and getting a chance for the group of five team. They care about money. And the reason why they're including everyone is because of money, because guess what? If fewer households are watching on the West Coast than they would have otherwise been or in the Northeast or in the Great Plains or whatever region of the country you want, the upper Midwest, um, then that's going to be bad for t- bad for money because you're not going to have as many people watching and the ads aren't worth as much and yada, yada. So <clears throat> it's good to see. I'm glad to see it. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, eight years from now we're complaining, we need a 2014 playoff or blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's a good step and it can probably quell some of the conference realignment Maybe. I mean, who the heck knows? But it could in the sense that, hey, um, there's six automatic spots. So, I mean, look, if this had been around for the past five years, the Pac-12, we probably wouldn't be talking about the conference in the exact same way that we do. Um, and heck, from a Pac-12 perspective, this is an opportunity for maybe you don't get maybe you're, you don't have a team that's good enough to be in the top four, but you have two teams that are good enough to be in the top 12 right? This won't be every year. Some years you might just have one, but there have been years in the past where the Pac-12 has had two top 12 level teams. Um, and that that's better for the conference's brand as well. So it's very interesting. Who knows how it'll actually unfold, but I'm glad to see it. <clears throat> okay. One more small bit of news to get to from last week and calling it news is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> Uh, but there were some Urban Meyer rumors floating around the ASU interwebs. And the reason why is because it came from a clip on the Dan Patrick show. So basically what happened is they were talking about the Nebraska coaching job and Hey, would Urban Meyer be interested in going to Nebraska since it looks like Scott Frost may be on the way out, who knows? Um, and while they were having that conversation on the show, uh, Dan Patrick with his producers, Patrick, gets a text from someone, you know, in the know who would know Urban Meyer, take it with a grain of salt. Again, this is not gospel. Uh, gets a text from, uh, uh, you know, someone in the know who was who would know Urban Meyer. And basically the gist of it goes, <coughs> hey, uh, so-and-so is on to something with Nebraska. Uh, Urban would concede. Urban's kind of considering Nebraska and one other school, and they basically guess which school it is, and eventually, actually, none of them get it. Uh, so it was kind of a boring piece of audio to watch. But eventually, Dan Patrick reveals that that second school is Arizona State. And so 
there is a non-zero, you know, reality that Arizona, that Urban Meyer ends up on the Tempe sidelines. Um, I say non-zero because anything can happen, I guess. I mean, Herm Edwards is the coach of ASU football. And if I told you that six years ago, you would be dumbfounded. Um, so I guess anything can happen, but I really don't see Urban Meyer ending up as the coach of ASU for a few reasons. One, Michael, I just don't see Michael Crow letting that happen. Uh, Urban Meyer, look, he has a great history in terms of winning games in college football, but in his total history as a coach is there's some checkered, uh, there's some checkered past. I mean, look at the Jaguars last year, there was the famous kicking the kicker incident. There was all sorts of stuff, just not knowing who players on opposing teams were. I, I mean, I can't even remember. it. There was so much bad coaching, bad attitude, just craziness um, that surrounded him in Jacksonville and that looked terrible. And that's why he's, back, you know, on the Fox, uh, college football panel, you know, and, but that's not the only thing that happened in terms of his checkered pass when it comes to coaching. We all remember in, I want to say it was like 2018, uh, the Zach Smith stuff came out at Ohio state, how he was abusing his wife and urban Meyer knew at one point didn't do anything because he's urban Meyer and he doesn't care about that stuff. He only cares about winning, which, um, you know, at a lot of places, they will look the other way on that stuff. And I think there's a certain percentage of fans who would look the other way as well. Um, but I don't think the ASU administration will. And then of course, all the stuff that happened in Florida, you know, 15 years ago with just so many guys getting arrested for stuff, uh, including Aaron Hernandez. So he's, he's, you know, he's probably the second best college football coach um, that I've seen, I, I can't call him the second best active college football coach. I, I guess that goes to Dabo since he has two chips, but um, maybe it's Kirby. I think Kirby might get there soon. I mean, that team is a buzzsaw, but regardless, he is a proven winner. No one can deny that. He won at Utah, won at Florida, won at Ohio State. And um, another reason I don't think that it would even happen is that if Urban Meyer does become interested in coming back, once the once those rumors get out there, some SEC school is just gonna go crazy and just drop the bag on him and be like, "Hey, you know, we don't care about your past. Just come here and win games." Uh, Auburn comes to mind. <laughs> um, I mean, heck, maybe if Texas A and M season goes bad, you could go there. Or I don't know. Who, who knows? I, I don't know all the SEC hot seat rumors right now. Um, but it's not totally inconceivable that he can be back coaching at one of those schools. So, yeah. So I don't think, regardless, I don't think Urban Myers will end up as the ASU head coach anytime soon. But I wanted to bring it up because it feels good to be wanted, right? You know, um, whether you're doing job interviews or swiping on a dating app, it feels good to... Um, have people interested back in you. And the reason why I bring this up is because if Urban Meyer is thinking, hey, look at Arizona State, they maybe will be playing in the Big 12 soon. And if they're playing in the Big 12, then guess who's not in the conference? USC, Washington, Oregon. All of a sudden, ASU has the potential, keyword, uh, potential to be one of the better teams in the Big 12. Or on the flip side, if Oregon, Washington leave, or even if they stay, you could still have the potential to be one of the best teams in the pack, whatever. 
because USC is now gone, um, sucking up a lot of the oxygen. So, or maybe, maybe that's not even part of it at all. And he just thinks, Hey, there's a lot of recruits in Arizona. It's not that far from LA. Um, not that far from the Inland empire and urban Meyer of all people would know he's a recruiting, um, obsessed coach. I mean, that's why he's won. Like he's won. It's not like he's a great exes and those guys we saw in the NFL. It's about recruiting with him. And at ASU, you on paper, you should be able to recruit. There are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of good quarterbacks in the Valley, a lot of good skill guys. Um, decent amount of um, O-linemen, it, it seems, um, in the Valley. And then you're close to the Inland Empire, not that far from San Diego, not that far from L.A. Um, there are on paper, on paper reasons. Uh, and I want to specify the phrase on paper because it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. But there are on paper reasons why he could be interested in a school like ASU just from a recruiting standpoint and potentially a um, – opponent standpoint because maybe ASU is a school that's better positioned to have more talent than other schools um, in whichever league it will be in soon. So that's kind of the, the, what I took out of it is like, okay, at least someone wants us, you know, Um, and maybe it won't be Urban Meyer that comes. Maybe it's Matt Rule getting fired from the Carolina Panthers. And he's like, Oh, you know, there's a lot of things we could do at ASU or maybe it's, I can't even think of, who it would be, you know, I like Jeff Halfley at Boston college. Um, maybe AS, maybe he sees what he likes at ASU, um, potentially, um, maybe the guy at coastal Carolina, what's his name? Um, Jamie Chadwell, maybe he, maybe, you know, he's wants to move up a a level and sees that ASU has potential to grow to be something big. So (coughs) coughing, uh, Again, I just that's kind of what I took out of it was the, the oh, the desirability at ASU from a co- an outside coach's standpoint is a little higher than I think a lot of fans, a lot of national media, um, the general college football fan base might think. And maybe I'm completely extrapolating it from uh, just a Dan Patrick interview clip, but heck, and I'm a Seahawks fan. That's. <laughs> Russell Wilson went on the Dan Patrick show and blamed the offensive line for stuff. And you're an athlete he's in Denver. So I know that sometimes these national media radio host guys can kind of just throw stuff out there because they're not actual reporters, but it's also good to keep in mind that these guys do know people who are in the know, especially guys like a Dan Patrick, who's been doing it forever. So we'll see, you know, ideally I, <laughs> I would love for a guy like Matt Roll to be the next ASU head coach. I mean, not a great NFL coach, but he won at Temple and he won at Baylor. And hopefully, you know, potentially he could win at ASU. So um, anyway, that is all speculation. What's not speculation is that ASU has a really exciting and really difficult um, road game at Oklahoma State this Saturday, 430 on ESPN too. I know there's watch parties around the Valley. Uh, I think the PHNX Sun Devils guys are having one at uh, Four Peaks. So that should be fun if people can go to that. Um, you know, if a look, if ASU wins this game, that would be such a great way to just kind of recapture the fan base, you know, kind of tell them, hey, like we may not be national title winners, but this team ain't going three and nine type of uh, statement, you know, so 
<clears throat> I mean, we all remember how the fan base felt after that win at Michigan State a few years ago. And that was an ugly ass win, but that was like, oh, okay, we're going on the road beating a ranked team. Like this team has got some. So that's what I'm hoping to see. That would I would love to see that. I don't think that's gonna happen. I do think they're gonna lose. Um, my prediction is 27 to 23. 27, 23, 27, 24, it doesn't really matter, but I'll go 27, 23. Um, Got to watch for Spencer Sanders' legs, but I'm just hoping for a good atmosphere, a good game, uh, no stupid officiating moments. I don't want that at all um, for either side, honestly, because then I don't want ASU to win. It's like, oh, it's only because of the refs, you know, because that's no fun. I, I know that fans like to say, oh, it wasn't because of the refs. It's like, well, sometimes it actually is. Like, so... Anyway, I hope that doesn't happen. And hopefully, you know, from a personal or from a, you know, player's standpoint, I hope nobody gets injured and everyone comes back good. And hey, maybe, maybe they lose this game and use it as a propeller to get better throughout the season. Who knows? But I will say this as my final statement I feel better about this game today on September 8th, 2022, than I did two months ago or three months ago. Um, and a lot of it's just based off the NAU one. I'm not, I'm going to be honest, but we didn't really know what this team was going to look like. And they looked better than I expected. Um, again, not perfect, still NAU, but like I mentioned earlier in this show, we have seen ASU teams and we see teams across the country, not just blow out their FCS opponents. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this game. Hopefully all the Sun Devil fans out there get a good experience watching it. So should be fun. Um, and with that, that concludes episode nine of the Stomp the Bus show. I think we're going to be back mostly on Wednesdays and Thursdays throughout the season. We might have a few uh, uh, like post-game reaction pods if crazy stuff happens. Um, but that's TBD. So Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening and uh, have a nice day and go Devils.